Harry Potter's and the Sorcerer's Stone by J. K. Rowling. Chapter One: The Boy Who Lived. Mr. and Mrs. Dunsley of Number Four Privet Drive were proud to say they're perfectly normal. Thank you very much. They were the last people we expect to be involved in anything strange, mysterious, because they just didn't hold with such nonsense. Mr. Dunsley was director of the firm called Grunnings, which made drills. He was a big, beefy man with hardly any neck, though he did have a very large moustache. Mrs. Dunsley was thin and blonde, and he had twice the usual amount of neck which came in very useful as she spent so much of the t- time craning over garden fences, spying on the neighbours. Densley's had a small boy, good Dudley, and in their opinion, there no fun a boy anywhere. The Dudley's had everything they wanted. They also had a secret. Their greatest fear was that somebody would dis- discover it. They didn't think they could bear it if anyone found out about the Potters. Miss Potter was Mrs. Dudley's sister. They hadn't met for several years. In fact, Mrs. Dunsley pretended she didn't have a sister, because her sister and her good-for-nothing husband were undoubtedly, as it would it was possible to be. Dunsley shuddered to think what the neighbours would say as the Potters arrived in the street. Dunsley knew the Potters, a small son too, but they had never even seen him. His boy was another good reason for keeping the Potters away. He didn't want Dunsley mixing with a child like that. When Mr. and Mrs. Dunsley woke up that on the grey, grey, dull grey Tuesday, our story starts. And nothing but the cloudy sky outside to suggest strange, mysterious things would soon be happening all over the country. Mr. Dunsley hummed as he picked at his borrowing tie for work. Mrs. Dunsley gossiped away happily as he wrestled a screaming dully in, in, into his high chair. None of them noticed a large, phony tawny owl flooded past the window. At half past eight, Mr. Dunsley picked up his briefcase, pecked Mrs. Dunsley on the cheek, and kissed, tried to kiss Dudley goodbye, but missed because Dudley was not was now having the tantrum, throwing cereal at the walls. Little tyke trickled Mr. Dudley. He left the house. He got into his car and backed out. A number four's drive. It was on the corner of the street. You noticed the first sign of something peculiar. A cat reading a map. The second Mr. Dunley didn't realise what he had seen. He jerked his head around to look again. There was a tubby cat standing on the corner of Privet Drive. There wasn't a map in his sight. What could have been what he'd been thinking of? It must have been a trick of the light. Mrs. Dunley, Mr. Dunley blinked, stared at the cat, stared back. And Mr. Dunley drove around the corner up the road. Watched the cat in his mirror, and now reading a sign that said Privet Drive. No, looking at the sign, cats couldn't read maps or signs. Mr. Dunsley gave himself a little shake, put the cat out of his mind, drove towards town. He thought of nothing except a large order of drills he was hoping to get that day. But on the edge of town, drills were driven out of his mind by something else. He sat in his usual morning traffic jam, couldn't help noticing there seemed to be a lot of strangely dressed people about people in cloaks. 
He said only he couldn't bear people dressed in funny clothes. Cadets, he saw on young people. He supposed this was some stupid new fashion. He drummed his fingers on the steering wheel. His eyes fell on the huddle of those weirdos standing quite close by. They whispering excitedly together. It's only was it rage to see the couple of them weren't young at all. Why, the man had to be older than he was, wearing an emerald green cloak. Another thing. Then, but then it struck Mr. Dunsley that this was probably still some silly stunt. You people were obviously collecting for something. Yes, that would be it. Traffic moved on, and a few minutes later, Mr. Dunsley rided in Grinning's parking lot, his mind back on <laughs> drills. Mr. Dunsley always sat with his wind back to the window, his office on the day, on the night floor. If he hadn't, he might have found it hard to concentrate on the drills that morning. He didn't see the owls. Flewing past in broad daylight, through people down the street. Down the street did. They put in a glaze over mountains, owl after owl, spread overhead. Most of them had never seen an owl, even at night time. But suddenly have a perfectly normal owl-free morning. He had five people, different people. He made several important phone telephone calls, shouted a bit more. His very good mood until lunchtime. He thought he stretched his leg and walked across the road by himself a bun from the bakery. Forgot all about the people in the cloaks. So he passed a group them next to the bakers. He eyed him angrily as he passed. He didn't know why, but it made him feel that made they made him uneasy. His bunch were whispering excitedly too. He couldn't see single collecting tin. He was on his way back past them, clutching a large donut in a bag. He caught a few words of what they were saying of Potters. That's right, that's what I heard. Yes, their son, Harry. Mr. Dundee didn't stop dead. Fear flooded him. He looked back at the whispers that he wanted to say something to them, but thought better of it. He dashed back across the road, hurry up to his office, snapped at his secretary not to disturb him, seized his phone telephone, and almost finished dialing his home number. They changed his mind, put Siva back down and stroked him and started thinking. No, he had been stupid, Potter. Was a, was a, such an unusual name? You sure there were lots of people called Potter, but a son called Harry. Think, come to think of it, he was he was sure his nephew was called Harry. He never, never even seen the boy. Might have been called Harvey, been Harvey or Harold. There's no point in worrying, Mister Dunsley. Dunsley, Missus Dunsley. She always got so upset and he mentioned the sister. Mister, he didn't blame her. If he had a sister like that, all the same, these people in cloaks, those people in cloaks, found it a lot harder to concentrate drills that afternoon. But he left the building at five o'clock. Still was so worried, he walked straight into someone just inside outside the door. Sorry, he grunted. A tiny old man stumbled and almost fell. So a few seconds before Mr. Dunley realised, the man was wearing a violet cloak. It didn't seem at all what set being knocked to the ground. Contrary, his face split with a wide smile. He said in a squeaky voice, made passersby stare, Don't be worried, sorry, my dear sir, but nothing could have upset me today. Joyce, you know, not, you know now who has gone at last. Even muggles like myself should be celebrating this happy, happy day. Our men hugged. Mr. Dudley ran the middle and walked off. Mr. Dudley stood rooted to the spot, been hugged by a complete stranger. Who was the folk? 
Had he been called a muggle, whatever that was, he was rattled. He hurried to his car and set off for home, hoping he was imagining things which he never hoped before, because he didn't approve of imagination. He pulled into the driveway, number four. The first thing he saw, and it didn't improve his mood, was that tabby cat he spotted that morning, now sitting his golden wall. His shot is the same one. He said it had the same markings around his eyes. Shoot, he said, Mr. Dudley, loudly. cat didn't move. Just gave him a stern look. Was this a normal cat? Was this normal cat behaviour? Mr. Dunsley wondered. Trying to pull himself together, he let himself into the house. He was still determined not to mention anything to his wife. Mrs. Dunsley had a nice, normal day. She had told him all over dinner, all about Mrs. Next Door's problems with with a daughter and how Dudley had learned a new word, wouldn't. Mr. Dudley tried to act normally. When, Miss, when Dudley had been put to bed, he went into the living room in time to catch the last report on the new evening news. And finally, bird watches everywhere reported nation's owls behaving very unusually today. Although owls normally hunt at night and hardly ever seen at the daylight, there have been hundreds of sightings of these birds flying in every direction of every sunrise. Since sunrise. Experts are unable to explain why owls have suddenly changed their sleeping pattern. Newspaper caster loud into Salvagin Green. Most is serious and now over to join Jim McGruffin with the weather. Going to be any more showers or owls tonight, Jim? Well, Ted, said the feather man. I don't know about that. There's not only owls that have been acting early today. Viewers are far ahead partners, Kent, Yorkshire, Dundee, pointing in a tummy, instead of rain, promiscuously, the downpour shooting stars. Perhaps people have been celebrating bonfire at night early. Not until next week, folks, but I can promise a wet night tonight. Mr. Dunley, Dunsley, Dunsley, sat frozen in his armchair. Shooting stars all over Britain, hours lying by daylight, shows people in cloaks all over the place. A whisper, a whisper about the potters. Mr. Dudley came to the living room, carrying two cups of tea. It was no good. You have to say something to her. He cleared his throat nervously. Ah, uh, Petulia, dear. You haven't heard from your sister lately, have you? As he had expected, Mrs. Dudley looked shocked and angry. After all, he only pretended she didn't have a sister. No, she said sharply. Why? Funny stuff on the news, Mr. Dudley. Dudley mumbled. Owls shooting stars. A lot of funny-looking people in town today. So, snapped Mrs. Dudley. Dudley? Well, I've just thought maybe something to do with, you know, her crowd. Mrs. Mrs. Dudley sips her tea through her pursed lip, through pursed lips. Mr. Dudley, Dudley wondered whether he dared tell her he'd heard the name Potter. He didn't. He said he didn't dare. Instead, he said as casual as he could, "The son." He would be about Dudley's age now, wouldn't he? I suppose so, said Mrs. Dudley. Stiffly, what's his name again? How is it? Harry, nasty common name, if you ask me. Oh, yes, said Mr. Dudley. His heart sinking horribly. Yes, I quite agree. Didn't say another word on the subject. They went upstairs to bed. Where Mrs. Dudley was in the bathroom. Mr. Dudley crept to the bedroom window, peered down in the front garden. The cat was still there, he was staring down Privet Drive, though he was waiting for something. Was he imagining things? Could all this have anything to do with the potters? If it did, they had got out. They related to the pair of... Well, he didn't think he could... Didn't think he could bear it. 
The Dudleys got into the bed. Mr. Dudley fell asleep quickly, but Mr. Dudley lay awake, turning it all over in his mind. At last, come to fault, for he fell asleep, that even if bodies were involved, there was no reason for them to come near him, Mrs. Dudley. Podders knew very well that he and Petulia thought about them and their kind. Didn't see why, how he and Petulia could have mixed up anything that might be going on. He owned and turned over. It couldn't affect, it couldn't affect them. How very wrong he was. Mr. Dudley might have been drifting into an uneasy sleep, but a cat on a wall outside was showing no sign of sleeplessness. Sitting as still as a statue, his eyes fixed unblinkingly on the far corner of Pivot Drive, didn't so much as quiver when the door, car door slammed on the next street, nor did two owls, nor when two owls swooped overhead. In fa- fact, it was nearly midnight before the cat moved at all. A man appeared on the corner as a, on the, on the corner. The cat had been watching. Appeared. So suddenly and silently, he thought that he'd popped out of the ground. Cat will twitched, his eyes narrowed. Nothing like this man had ever been seen on Pivot Drive. Tall and thin, very odd, judging by silver in his hair and beard, which was both long enough to tuck into his belt, wearing long robes of purple cloak, and swept around high-heeled buckled boots. His eyes were, very, were light, bright, Sparkling behind half moon spectacles. His nose was very long and crooked. Although he had been broken at least once, his name was Aberus Dumblemore. Aberus Dumblemore but didn't seem to realise. He just arrived at the street where everything from his name to his boots was unwelcome. He was busy rummaging in his cloak, looking for something, did, but he didn't seem to realise he'd been watched. He looked up slowly at the cat. What's so special about Hero Bread's soft, fluffy, and delicious breads, buns, and tortillas? These ultra-low net-carb baked goods contain zero sugar, fewer calories, and more protein than the leading brands and are high in fiber to support gut health. Shop now at Hero.co. Staring him from the other end of the street. For some reason, the sight of the cat seemed amusing. He chuckled and muttered, should have known. He found he's looking for his, for his inside pocket. Seemed to be a silver cigarette lighter. Flicked it open, held it up in the air and clicked it. New street light went out. A little pop. Clicked it again. The next lamp flickered into darkness. Twelve times he clicked to the point upper. Two of the only lights in the whole street. The two little tiny pinpricks in the distance. Which were the eyes of the cat watching him. Anyone looked out of their window. Now even be the eyed of Mrs. Dudley. They wouldn't be able to see anything. that was happening down on the pavement. Dumb more, slipped the point of the rover back over into side of the cloak, set off down the street toward number four. He sat down on the wall next to the cat. Didn't look at it, but after a moment he spoke to it. Fancy seeing you here, Professor McGonagall. He turned to smile at Tabby. They had gone. Instead, you're smiling at a rather severe looking woman who's wearing square glasses exactly. She remarked as the cat been round his eyes. She too was wearing a cloak, a emerald one. Her black hair was drawn into a tight bun. She looked deceitfully ruffled. How did you know it was me? she asked. My dear professor, I've never seen a cat sit so stiffly. You'll be stiff if you've been sitting on a brick all day, said Professor McGoggle. All day? Would you 
when you could you well, when you could have been celebrating may have passed a dozen feasts and parties on my ear Professor said angrily oh yes everyone's just celebrating all right she said impatiently you think you'll be a bit more careful but no your muggles have noticed something going on it was on their news she jerked her head back at the Dunsley's dark living room window yeah I heard it flocks of owls shooting stars they're not completely we're not they're not completely stupid Banner noticed something she started down in Kent bet there was a devilish dingle dingle never had so much, never had much sense you can't you can't blame them said Dumbermores rently we had precious little time to celebrate for 11 years I know that, said Professor McGinkle, irritably. There's no reason to lose our heads. People are being downright careless in the streets and wild late. Not even dressing mongrel clothes, swapping rumours. She threw a sharp sideways glance at Dumbermore here, as though hoping only to tell us something. But he didn't. So you're doing on a fine thing to, it would be. If one on a very day you know who seems to have disappeared at last, a mongrel's found us... Mongols found out about us about us all. I suppose he really has gone, Dumbledore. He certainly seems so, said Dumbledore. We have much to be thankful for. Will you care for a lemon drop? Oh, what? A lemon drop? It's what they're kind of Mongol. Sweet. I'm rather fond of. No, thank you, said Professor Mongol. Coley, as long as she didn't think this is a moment for lemon drops. They say, even if you know who was gone, my professor, dear professor, surely a sensible person like yourself can call him by his name. All this you know who nonsense. For many years, I've been trying to persuade people to call him by proper name, Verdamont. Professor McGurgle, girl, flinched, but Dunmore was unsticking. Two lemon drops seemed not to notice. Oh, get so confusing if you keep saying you know who. I have even never seen any reason to be frightened of saying Bernamont's name. I know you haven't, said Professor McGill. I am saying half exasperated, half damn marring. But you're different. Everyone knows you're the only one who you know who right Bernamont is frightened of. You flatter me, said Bernamont calmly. Bernamont has powers over who I never have. Only because you too, well, noble, noble to use them. It's like, it's lucky it's dark. I haven't blushed her much since Madame Puffery told me she liked my earmuffs. Professor McGoggle shot sharp look at the Bermore and said, Ours are nothing next to rumours that are flying around. You know what that paper been saying. That's why he's disappeared. What about him? What about funny, what funny stopped him? Seems to Professor McGoggle. I've reached the point she's most anxious to discuss. The real reason she waited on a cold, hard wall all day for neither, for neither as a cat nor a woman as she fixed Dumbledore with such a piercing stare as she did now, playing that whether every more everyone was saying was she was not going to believe it till Dumbledore told her it was true. Dumbledore, however, was choosing another lemon drop and did not. <laughs> Answer, what are you saying? She pressed on. It is a night Vandermond turned up in Gorich Hoddo. He went to find the potters. Rumours that Lily and Jane Potter were... They're dead. Dumbermond bowed his head. Professor Gillamont McGillamore grasped. Lily and James, I can't believe it. I don't want to believe it. Oh, Ambrose. 
Lamar reached out and patted her on the shoulder. I know, I know, he said heavily. President McGill's voice trembled, went on. That's not all. Saying he tried to kill the potter's son, Harry. But he couldn't. He couldn't kill the little boy. No one knows why or how. But he's saying that when he couldn't kill Harry Potter, Vermont's power somehow broke. And that's how, he, how he's, why he's gone. Lamar grinned, nodded grumbly. It's true, flattered. Faltered Professor McGill. Of all he's done, all the people's killed, couldn't kill a little boy, just a standing, all the things to stop him. But how in the name of heaven did Harry survive it? You can only guess, said Dunmore. Dunmore, but you may never know. Professor McGill pulled out a face, lace handkerchief, and dabbed at her eyes beneath her spectacles. Dunmore gave a little stiff, great sniff as he took gold watch from his pocket and examined it. It's a very old, odd, old watch. Had twelve hands, but no numbers. Dead little plates were moving around the edge. It must have made, made sense to Dumbermore, though, because he put it back in his pocket and said, Hug, it's late. I suppose it's he who told you I'll be here, by the way. Yes, said Professor McGill. I don't suppose you're going to tell me why you're here of all places. I have come to bring Harry to his aunt and auntie. So the only family he uh, is left now. You don't mean... Don't the people, people that live here, cried Professor McGill, jumping at her feet, pointing at number four. Dunmore, you can't. Been watching them all day. Couldn't find two people who look... Oh, they like us. They got they got this son. I saw him kicking his mother all the way up the street, screaming with sweet Harry Potter. Come and live here. It's the best place for him, said Dunmore firmly. His aunt and uncle... Be able to explain everything to him when he's older. Read him a letter. A letter repeated Professor McGill. Faintly, seven titting back down on the wall. Really, Vermont, you think he explained all this in a letter? You people will never understand him. He'd be famous, a legend. Couldn't be, wouldn't be surprised if the day was known as Harry Potter's Day in the future. There'd be books written about Harry. Every child in the, in the world will know his name. Exactly, said Dumbermore. Looking very seriously over the top of his half-moon glass. It'd be enough to turn any boy's head. Famous, where he could even walk and talk. Famous for something. Couldn't, wouldn't even remember. Can't you see how much better it would be if you're growing up away from that all and until you're ready to take it? Professor McGill opened her mouth, changed her mind, swallowed and said, Yes, it's your right, of course. How is the bell are you getting here, Dumbermore? He eyed his cloak, suddenly as though... She thought he might be hiding Harry underneath it. Harry Haggart's bringing him. Do you think it's wise to trust Haggart with something as important as this? I trust Haggart with my life, said Dumbermore. I'm not saying his heart is in it, in the right place, said Professor. McGill gradually, but you can't pretend he's not careless. He does tend to... What was that? A low rumbling sound was broken in the silence. Around him, it grew steadily louder. Looked up and down the street for some sign of their headlights. Swelled a roar. So you both looked up the sky. A large motorcycle fell out of the air and the road in front of them. The motorcycle was huge. It was nothing to the man that stood and stride it. He was almost as twice as tall as a normal man, at least five times as wide. He looked simply too big to be allowed. And so wild, long tangled, bushy black hair, beard hid almost most of his face, his hands the size of trash can lids, his feet there in their liver 
boots were like prairie dolphins. His vast massive arms is holding a bundles of banquets. Agate, said Belmore, which suddenly relieved at last. Where did you get that motorcycle? Borrowed it, Professor Belmore, sir, said the giant, climbing carefully off the motorcycle he spoke. No, Cyrus Black lent it to me. I got him back. I got him back, sir. No problems over were there? No, sir. House was almost destroyed. I got him out all right before the Mongols started swimming, swarming around. But see, he was flying over Bristol. I'm not Professor McGill. Bent forward over the bundle of blankets. So I just fizzle with a baby boy fast asleep. Under a tuft of jet black hair over his forehead, he saw a curiously shaped cut like a bolt of lightning. Is that where? whispered Professor McGill. Yes, said Dunmore. You have that scar forever. Can't you do something about Dunmore? Even if I could, I wouldn't. Scars can come in handy. I have one myself, by my left knee. There's a perfect map with London Underground. Well, give him here, Daggard. We'd better get this over and dump this over with. Dunmore took Harry in his arms and turned towards the Dudley's house. Could I, could I say just goodbye to him, sir? said Haggard. I said it. Bent his great shaggy head over Harry and gave him what had been a very scratchy, whispery, whispery bit kiss. And suddenly Haggard let out a howl like a wounded boy. Shush, hissed Professor McGill. Wake up the mongrels. Sorry, said Margaret, trying, crying, taking out a loud spotty handkerchief, burying his face in it. But I can't stand it. Lillian and, and James dead. A little poor little Harry off to live with the mongols. Oh, yes. It's all very sad, but to get the grip on yourself, Haggard, or we'll be found. Professor McGougal whispered, patting Haggard gently on the arm. A double more stepped of a low garden wall, walked to the front door. He laid Harry gently on the doorstep, took a letter out of his cloak, tucked it inside Harry's blankets, then came back to the other two. For a full minute, the three of them stood and looked at a little bundle. Harold goes and shoulders shook. Professor McGill blinked furiously, and twinkling light as she swung from Dumbo's eyes seemed to have gone out. Well, said the Morse finally, that's that. There were no busy staying here. We shall may as well go and join the celebrations. Yeah, said Haggard, in a very muffled voice. Best get this bike away. Good night, Professor McGill. Professor Dumbo's sir, wiping his streaming eyes with his jacket sleeve. Haggard? Haggard swung himself onto the motorcycle, kicked the engine into life, rode it, uh, with roar, rose it into the air, and off into the light. I shall see you soon, I expect, Professor McGill, said Dunmore, nodding to her. Professor McGill blew her nose in reply. Dunmore turned and walked back down the street. On the corner, he stopped and took out the silver putter up her. As her, he clicked at once, and twelve... <laughs> Bowls of light sped back into the street lamps. Lights lamps so the privy drive glowed. Suddenly, yeah, yeah, orange could make a tubby cat sinking around the corner at the other end of the street. You could see the bundled blankets on the step of number four. Good luck, Harry, he murmured. He turned on his heel with a switch of his cloak and he was gone. Breeze rougher than the edges of privy drive. Very silent, toddy, and the inky sky. A very last place. Expects astonishing things to happen. Everybody rolled over inside the blanket without waking up. One small hand closed on a letter beside him. He slept on, not knowing he was special, not knowing he was famous, 
not knowing he would be woken in the next few hours. Time by Mrs. Dudley's scream, she opened the front door to put out the milk bottles. Now he spent his next few weeks being prodded, pinched, his cousin Dudley. He couldn't know this very moment people met, meeting sacred all over the country, are holding up their glasses, saying in hushed words, for Harry, Harry Potter, a boy who lived. <laughs> special about Hero Bread's soft, fluffy, and delicious breads, buns, and tortillas? These ultra-low, net-carb baked goods contain zero sugar, fewer calories, and more protein than the leading brands, and are high in fiber to support gut health. Shop now at Hero.co.